Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Don't go anywhere. And this next hour is going to be fantastic. We're going to talk about topics like this how we don't need to understand what God is doing now to follow Him in faith. We're going to talk about that. And then we're also going to talk about how heaven is satisfaction in Jesus. So we're going to cover both topics today. Our guests are John and Pam Bloom. We call this Deep Thinker Thursday. John is a uh, the co-founder of DesiringGod.org, and Pam is his wife of how many years now? We're coming up on 33. 33, mm-hmm. and five children, and... And two grandchildren. Two grandchildren, so not always nice. Always nice yeah. to have you here. All right, Pam, I think you've got a story from a 15-year-old journal entry that you're going to start with. Right. We were preparing for this, and I was looking for something I had written on heaven. And then I found this journal entry and I thought it'd be a fun story to share. It was 15 years ago and our kids were nine, seven, two, and our twins were about nine months old. So they were just starting to crawl and move toward walking. And it was a busy time. And in that journal entry, we had just been up half the night, I think the night before, helping some friends mop out a flooded basement I had extra kids over. John was out for the evening and I was putting everyone to bed and I was exhausted. And I had just cleaned up something that had spilled on the white carpet. I was changing a dirty diaper and I looked up because something caught my eye and there was a glowing oval up in the sky and it was just out the window. But it was from where I was sitting on the floor I could see out the window and see something that was in the sky. And I was puzzled, like, what, what is this? I realized later, it, realized it was a blimp and it had a message on it. And it said, have you had it up to here? <laughs> <laughs> it was the most bizarre experience. It was lit like, up on the blimp? <laughs> it was, well, it was a dark night and a white blimp. Okay. So whether it was lit up or it, there was enough light that time of night or but I could see it from my house near downtown and I read it and I, uh, yeah, I have had it up to here right (laughs) now. I was frustrated, grumpy, and it made me laugh that of the coincidence and the moment that I saw those words. I don't know what the ad was for, but it got my attention. And I actually later looked that evening went, that was bizarre that happened, but it actually made me, look up past the sky to like, God, you're here. You see mm-hmm. what I'm dealing with. What It was a small thing of all the, the things that made me frustrated or overwhelmed at the moment. But it was it's a good picture of still like, look up from what we're experiencing. Oh, I love that. God notices and he's saying, have you had it up to here? Remember me. Yeah. And really generous of you to help friends with a wet basement, because if my friends were calling me, they would get right to my voicemail. 
All right, John, let's talk about how we don't need to understand what God is doing now to follow him in faith. Yeah, so um, I wrote an article, and it's going to go up on the DesiringGod.org site this Sunday. And it's called, You Don't Need to Understand Now. And, um, and it's a meditation on, on, that, on just a, an interaction between Jesus and Peter in John chapter 13, where it's, do you remember, it's, it's during, the, during the Last Supper, Jesus gets up, he, he strips down to a servant's garb, and he starts washing the disciples' feet. <clears throat> and that, he gets to Peter, and that, that's so disorienting for these guys, and I can maybe touch on that um, a little bit in, in a minute. It's so disorienting culturally that, that the, the, the most commonly unclean part of the human body was always the feet. So you didn't, you didn't, you didn't point your feet at people. Um, you certainly wouldn't have an honored guest touch your feet. Mm-hmm. You know, that would be dishonoring. And so the only people who should touch your feet besides yourself would be a servant or, or maybe a child. Um, but you, you, you could easily dishonor people in that culture by, by pointing your feet because you're, because you're walking in sandals and, uh, Jews had those the laws of purification, and you don't know what your feet are coming in contact with all the time. And so th- there's always a sense that your feet are unclean. And so Jesus, the most honored person in existence that the disciples n- knew at this point, I mean, they didn't know fully exactly all that was going on, we know that, but they, but they knew he was the Lord. Um, they knew he had the words of eternal life. They considered him to be the Messiah, and so he was, in their eyes, and rightly so, the most honored person in existence on earth. And he was washing their feet. So he gets to Peter and Peter says, do you wash my feet? And because he's confused and he, he's pulled his feet back. You can, you got to get the idea. You know, he, yeah. He's like, no, this is not going to happen. You're not, you know, y- you are going to wash my feet. And Jesus stops and, and I imagine him just looking up at Peter patiently. And he says, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand. Now, Peter doesn't, I mean, he, that, that, that didn't settle it for Peter. He's still like, uh-uh, no, by no means are you going to wash my feet. Like, um, and then Jesus tells him, well, if I don't wash your feet, you have no portion with me. And then, of course, that changes everything. Peter's like, like here, my feet, my hands, my head, you know, just give me right. a bath. You know, I, um, and, uh, but, but, but those words, I have, I have meditated on that sentence that Jesus said, because it has such broad application. It, it meant something very specific in that moment. But this typifies what it means the, 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 the disciples' experience, I don't just mean the 12 disciples, I mean us, those of us, any of us who follow Jesus, this is the experience that we have following Jesus in, to some degree all the time. What I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will understand afterward. Powerful. And when we talk about Peter in that situation, and I can understand now, John and Pam, how this situation would feel strange and disorienting to them. Right. 
And that experience, we just, so we're given these pictures. um, The Bible doesn't give us a manual for living. It gives us all these different kinds, all these different genres like this. This is a narrative history of something that took place. But there's always pictures of things that we're we're supposed to notice. You know, we're, we're supposed to meditate. We're supposed to listen. We're supposed to you know, have our eyes open, our ears open, so to speak, when, when we are reading the Bible. Because there, are, there is so much in there that has broad applications if we're listening. And so, yeah, you've got, you've got the disciples saying, this does not look right. All right? I mean, every, all, their whole lives, these guys had been taught from the time they were little, you, you know, honored people don't touch your feet, you know, like it was just wrong everywhere. It was reinforced in their culture. And so all of a sudden he's doing this and it looks like he's violating, you know, like he's actually doing something that would be ungodly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it would be it just, very, very wrong in their in their eyes. Yeah. And so there's no way Peter's thinking, I'm going to let you dishonor yourself by touching my dirty feet. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I should do that for you. I'm sure that was more his his thing. I should be doing that to you, not not you to me. And uh, and Jesus, like he was, seemed to be doing. You know, every time you turn around in the in the Gospels, he's breaking their preconceived understandings by doing something that that was puzzling and bewildering, and has and has a purpose to him. And that is what we experience a lot. I mean. There are almost always, if we stop and think about what's going on, sometimes they're right in front of our faces. We don't have to give any thought to it. And other, and other times we're carrying these sort of vague questions, doubts in our mind, things, things that are going on in here um, that just don't seem right to us. This doesn't seem right. I mean, why, why are you letting me go through this? It doesn't, it doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem godly. You know, like, like it doesn't. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense that you would order in your providence these things to go this direction and for this to happen. Um, it doesn't make sense that you don't seem to answer these prayers. Um, and, and we get, and we get um, perplexed and perhaps uh, respond sometimes to God in, in prayer, kind of like some much like this, a number of the psalmists do and express our frustration, sort of like Peter. But now, now, in different ways, but like, I don't get what you're doing. This doesn't seem right. I, I, you, know, you know, this, I can't, I don't know yeah. what to do with it. I wonder if there's not a bunch of people listening today that are in that exact same situation where they don't understand at all what's happening. And if that's you, maybe you would share a couple uh, bits of your story and we can pray for you as well. We're going to take a little break. John and Pam Boomer, my guests, we're talking today about how we don't need to understand what God is doing now, all right, to follow him. And then a little bit later on in the program, we're going to talk about how heaven is satisfaction in Jesus. 877-933-2484. If you're willing to share a story, maybe God has you in this place where you just feel a little disoriented. We're going to talk about uh, that when we come back with John and Pam Boom. Be right back. 
That music will get your brain ready to think deeply. We're doing that today with John and Pam Bloom. We call this Deep Thinker Thursday. And so far, uh, we're having a lively discussion. If you just joined us, we're talking about how you don't need to understand what God is doing now to follow him in faith. And John and Pam, there's certainly people think that uh, they know more than God. And of course, that is a very dangerous place to be in. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, it, it's not even something we set out to do. We might have an intention and we've trusted God. And then there's a wrench that happens in our life. Mm-hmm. Maybe we followed what we thought would be a formula, like, if I do this, things are going to go this mm-hmm. way, and it doesn't turn out that way. And it's, that's not only disappointing, but it's disillusioning. Like, God, what happened? I, you're not coming through the way I thought you were. You've set out a path that you were giving me every indicator to go this way, and then I've got a roadblock. We, we each have our own scenarios where mm-hmm. this is being lived out, and now we're going how do I trust you? Can you just give me some more answers first and then I'll trust you? Yeah. Not in a hard-hearted way, but like we're trying to make sense of life and of God. I presented a plan. It's not working out like I thought. Yeah. yeah. I think it's our default. Um, our default is to uh, lean on our own understanding, to borrow the, the language from Proverbs 3, 5. Um that, that proverb says, um, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. But we have a default. And, and, by, and some of this, of course, just is um, unescapable in the sense that we are experiencing, each of us, our lives in our bodies and in our sensory. Like, like of course, we're, we're built to understand. I mean, God created us to understand. And, and human beings have a really remarkable capacity to sort of grasp and put together a lot of things. And so, and so of course, we're going to want to understand, and we're actually meant to understand many things. However, we're also designed in such a way that, that most of what we know isn't coming from our own direct experience. It's coming from something we've learned from others, and we end up trusting them because we place credibility in what they say. We believe that they have knowledge that we don't have access to, and for, and for whatever reason, we find it compelling, and so we trust it. And, you know, that's most of our knowledge. The, the, the amount of knowledge that we gain from direct experience or direct, you know, um, uh, experiment, you know, like, like if you're going to think in the scientific terms, is very small, very limited. Most of what we know, we have gained, and we trust. We live we live the vast majority of our lives by faith. That's the way we're wired. We lean on the understanding of others. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's how we are designed. Now, God calls us to that. And what he, underneath everything is the knowledge, is God's knowledge, God's understanding, right? And so we're called to trust him. But when it's but that becomes hard when we have a, as Pam was just saying, a preconceived understanding of what we, of the way we think things are supposed to go, and that doesn't match that, and so then we're thinking, well, you're doing it wrong. I mean, this, you're not you're not keeping your promise, or you're not you're not you know you're not doing it right. This isn't right, and so then we question whether we can lean on, we can trust in Him, right? That's that's the life of faith. And, and 
It's laced through the entire Bible. It's laced through. It's there in, in the lives of all the saints where God throws them things. I mean, and, and he's doing it not to, he's not just doing it for, for entertainment. He's got his own purpose. He's weaving things together. But they, they, there's no way they can comprehend the big picture. And so they've got to trust him when he directs them to do things that, that seem wrong or when circumstances go wrong. And I can just, let me just give some examples. That'd be great. These would be examples of saints in perplexing situations? Yeah. yeah. Cool. And which, is, which is like every saint. Okay. In the Bible. That's all of us. So, so you know, let's just, let's just go back. Well, I'll just give some, uh, just a kind of a flyover sampling here. Okay. So you go, back, go way back to Abraham, who's sort of the, you know, the, the father of faith, right? He's the, he's the great model of faith in the New Testament. So he'd waited all those years. He waited 25 years from the time God promised Isaac, promised him a baby to the time that Isaac was born. And then he's about 13 years old, and then God calls him to sacrifice Isaac on Mount Moriah. And that would have been deeply disturbing and incredibly bewildering. What, what, I don't, what, what is this? Now, God had reasons that, help, that go all the way to Jesus, you know, 1,500 years later, but, but Abraham doesn't know that. Mm-hmm. Got Jacob. Jacob's wrestling with God. So he's, Jacob, this is the night before Jacob's going to meet Esau. And the last time he met Esau, Esau wanted to kill him. So he's returning from the promised land after all those years. Now he's got two wives and a whole bunch of kids, you know, and they're all coming back. And the night before, this guy shows up in the middle of the night and wrestles him. And it turns out to be God incarnate. And he puts his hip out of joint. Mm-hmm. So now he... That's, that's, that's what he does to prepare him to meet Esau. Yeah. He can't run. He's got to trust God. Not to mention how crabby I am if I don't get a good night's sleep. Yeah, right. You got Joseph. Joseph's given these dreams, and then he's, sent, and then he's sold as a slave, and he spent all those years in prison in Egypt. What, what in the world is going on? Um, Moses, not understanding why God would choose him to lead you know, him, of all people, you know, to, to lead the people out of out of Egypt, Gideon was told to take 300 people and go fight the Midianites. <laughs> that was crazy. Jehoshaphat was told, send forth the, this choir as your vanguard in your army, and I'm just going to fight for you. <laughs> Nehemiah, he's trying to build the walls, and, and there's, just, there's just chaos breaking out all over the place, and so people are having to hold a weapon with one hand and build a wall with the other hand, and, and how inefficient like, is that? Like, why in the world? Now, God has his purposes, but that was not experienced, I'm sure, as, as, oh, I I understand what you're doing. (laughs) Those are great examples. Joseph, uh, Jesus's earthly father, you know, he's, he's trying to figure out, he's trying to provide for, you know, his, his new wife and this, this infant son and, and, and everything about the birth of Jesus is going, is things going wrong and he's having to go over here and having to escape from Herod and having to come back. Like, um, he had to deal with so many unforeseen, confusing detour, detours that it would have been, in the moment, bewildering. The man born blind, he was, he was 40 years old before Jesus healed him. He had no idea why he had spent all those torturous years back then with no handicap accessibility or anything like that, blind. And everybody thought he was cursed. He wasn't. And, of course, Mary and Martha, you know, Lazarus dies. They send word to Jesus, come. 
your friend is dying. You, you know, he heals everybody, and he doesn't show. Wow. Doesn't show up. So anyway, those are just, that's just a small sampling. All those, if you, when, once you start looking, just, those are all over the place. Disorienting experiences of what are you doing, God? I don't, I don't get it. It's yeah. not right. Yeah, I think of even Joseph scratching his head going, I thought Mary had favor with God. Right, right. There's no place. Yeah. There's no place. There's, to, there's to, nothing. For Jesus. What yeah. did I do wrong? Yeah. What, what, what did I miss? Very disorienting. Great examples. Really good. And so all those saints experience what, what I'm doing you do not understand now. You'll understand later. And sometimes the later meant like they understood you know, within days, you know, like Peter under, understood within a day, <laughs> you know, or whatever. James, in Acts chapter 12, you know, in Acts chapter 12 is mainly the story of Peter getting delivered by the angel from prison. Well, but the, but the chapter starts with James was thrown into prison. No angel shows up for him. He gets run through with the sword. So he doesn't find out why that until heaven. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we don't know. But we are meant, like we, 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 we will go insane. We are, I mean, we, we will, our sanity will break if we feel like we have to cram everything. If we think we need to understand, we don't, there's so much we, we don't understand and that we can't. We, we'd have no categories or no, no perspective for it to make sense. God being God, if he is who he says he is, there's going to be lots of things in which we must take our understanding and rest it on top of his and trust him with it because it's not going to seem right to us in the moment. That's so good. All right, we're going to take a little break. John and Pam Bloom are our guests, and we're uh, talking about the very thing that John just shared with so many wonderful ex biblical examples of how we maybe just don't understand what God is doing now. And that's uh, disorienting, maybe a little bit strange, and but we need to take that and rest it on the truth of God and trust Him. Not always easy, but you can do it. We'll take a little break. When we come back, lots more with John and Pam Bloom. about uh, even when we don't know what God is doing, his invitation is to trust him. The beautiful invitation that is. Yes, yeah, so 
Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, he says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. And I'm making the connection to what the point I made earlier, which is we do that all the time and far more than we know. A lot, lot of times we think we know. Most of that knowing is trusting somebody else's authority about things that we believe. The vast majority of what we know fits into that category. We do live. We live by faith more than we know. God calls us to actively trust him. It's part of the self-humbling of sanctification um, and combating sinful pride. And he's, he's set up the gospel in such a way that we must trust him. We must rest our understanding on his understanding, our limited understanding on his omniscient understanding. And so when we talk about the place of peace, and Paul says in, in Philippians chapter 4, be anxious about nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. It surpasses understanding because what we do at that moment is we yield our demand to know. That's one of the things we're doing when in, in anxiety is we yield our demand to know and our frustration over the, the confusion of it all. We trust his promises, which sometimes can be agonizingly hard. The Bible makes that clear. I mean, we're in good company if we find it hard. But it is the, the way to peace, casting our cares on him because, we, because he cares for us. And so it surpasses understanding through faith, by trusting him, that he knows. And, and we will eventually understand later. So, so the great invitation of the Bible, the great invitation of the gospel, is Jesus saying, trust me. And he makes it hard so that we f- must focus our attention on him. We look to him. We look to him. And the reason we look to him is because he is ultimate reality. And we're going to jump to a, to a different topic here on heaven. And he is the heaven of heaven. God is the heaven of heaven. He's the object of He's our adoration. It's not our understanding. Right. It's him. Mm-hmm. It's him. And so that's why. I mean, there's, there's, underneath all the reasons why God has us to live this way, underneath it all, to prepare us to enjoy him forever. He is the knowledge. You know, the, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't mean to trivialize that last comment I made. I want to make sure I be clear that when I said, I mean, the object of heaven is Jesus. That's the object of being in glory. That's the prize to be in his presence. Yes. And I don't like the word prize. It seemed trivial, so I'm just clarifying. Ah, uh, but you're in good company. Mm-hmm. Paul calls him a prize. Okay, good. In in uh, in Flip, Philippians three, yeah. yeah, I press on for the prize. I yeah, letting go of what's what's behind. I press on for the to the goal for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus for the prize. I press on toward the prize. Right. 
which is the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Right. So, so he is the prize. Absolutely he is. And, I, yeah. and when people say, I, I, when I go to heaven, I'll get to see grandma again. And of course, that's a lovely idea. But I'm happy staring at Jesus the first trillion years in heaven. That's right. And then I'll look up grandma. That's right. And that's, that's a good um, segue into this because uh, back on March 4th, I, we published an article that, uh, that I wrote on, why do you want to go to heaven? Just asking the question. Because I remember when I was young, I was either in my late teens or my very, very early 20s. And I was in church, and uh, it was a Sunday school class. We took up the topic of heaven and what it will be like and why we'd want to be there. And I remember the leader of the class just making a comment, um, saying, I can't wait to have my mansion and my Maserati. Wow. And it was somewhat lighthearted, but he was serious. It wasn't, it wasn't one of those, like, it wasn't sarcastic. And that got us talking about it, like like what we all wanted, and it was and and the discussion re- remained on that level. And one of the most, and I remember sitting there going, um, I didn't I didn't have my own, hadn't thought things through at that point very very deeply, but I just knew I thought this isn't this doesn't sound like heaven to me. I mean, a, a mansion and a Maserati, you know, they're they're nice, but if that's all. It felt like Ecclesiastes to me. It felt like vanity. Right. It just felt like emptiness. Yeah. And, and later when I was reflecting on it, I just, I remember thinking it's, it, I don't remember anybody really talking about the person of God being what's attractive. It was God giving us things. And, um, and that was a moment of clarity for me because, because I just I recognize, you know, I, I don't want eternal life like for for mansions and and Maseratis. I want the one thing that would make eternal life worth living. I mean, there's only so long before that before that gets old. Mm-hmm. What is it? It's the one thing that David talks about in Psalm 27. One thing I have asked. And that will I seek after them. I dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to m- meditate on him. So that's, that is, I, that, I just wanted, I think it's worth talking about. Like, w- what is it about heaven that we, makes us want to be there? I think it points to our, this, as we were coming, getting ready, we were talking about this longing in each of us and the things that we look forward to that satisfy here and and how they don't deeply satisfy. The things that we look forward to even points us to heaven because there's a longing and the things that even when we get them, they they make us kind of happy but not as happy as we expected or it doesn't last relationships, a vacation, home improvement. We just improved our bathroom. I have a new shower. I was really looking forward to it. It's beautiful, but it doesn't satisfy. That's a trivial thing, but there are, it's, it just points to this longing and it is a pointer to it's God we long for. Nothing else will satisfy like him. 
So we talked about this unquenchable thirst and unappeasable want that's really a desire for God. That's right. So <laughs> here, here's where, here's where um, I, I find C.S. Lewis to be super helpful uh, in things that he says about, about heaven. Um, he, in, in his book, The Problem of Pain, he wrote, uh, there have been times when I think we don't desire, we hardly desire heaven. But more often, I find myself wondering whether in our heart of hearts we have ever desired anything else. Wow, that's powerful. The, here, and here's the connection between the mansion and Maserati, remodeling a bathroom, getting, like, taking a vacation. All those, the, we, we all recognize that the, the, the anticipation of good that's coming, in, in whatever package it is, you know, um, uh, we, we, we call it future grace at Desiring God, this, this, this grace that's coming always in, come from the future here. And, uh, and we, we taste it in all those, in all those things. The reason why, I, I don't mean to be overly critical about the guy who mentioned um, mansions and Maseratis, because, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know him well. I'm sure that wasn't his deepest thoughts about heaven. So let me just say that. Um, and my guess is they were, they were representative, not, not, not probably the actual objects of his desire, but they represented things that was getting at that core thing that you taste in a, in a new bathroom, in a vacation, in a house, in a, what, what, uh, what, what, these pleasurable things. It's, I'm arguing like Lewis, it's this deep, unappeasable want. It's the desire deep in our souls that is a desire for God. And we, can, we often taste it as it's transposed into these other good things. But the things themselves never deliver. They never deliver themselves. They never deliver the promise of satisfaction. They always fall short to some degree. They're nice in and of themselves. But we all, what is it that we're looking for? It keeps us restless. It keeps us looking. It keeps us pressing. We're looking for the prize. We're looking for the prize. And that prize is God. That's what we're looking for. That is indeed the prize. And that is where our satisfaction lies. I just had a listener jump in with a great comment. He said, I sometimes feel like when I am finally fully with Jesus, I'm going to follow him around like a new puppy. Puppy doesn't care about your agenda. It's just thrilled to be with you. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. I mean, we, we, we all long for a home. And we get tastes of it here. We're long for satisfaction. We're longing for a, a treasure. And the, and, the, and the treasures here are helpful, but they're, they're symbolic. They're representative. They're good things, but they're but in them, they, in, it's like inside of them, they carry the secret, the pointer. They're pointers. And if, and if we get lost on the pointers, we start feeling like, like the writer of Ecclesiastes. Like, you know, I built gardens for myself. I built, I built houses for myself. I had harems. I had this. I had that. I had gold. And it's all vanity, a vanity. It's striving after the wind. It's, it's, if this is all there is... It's not worth it. 
Mm-hmm. But as Lewis says um, in Mere Christianity, if, there, if I have a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most logical conclusion is I was made for another world. If we have a desire that no worldly thing, no earthly thing can satisfy, that must be an otherworldly desire. I agree. Take a little break, John and Pam Bloom are my guests. Call this Deep Thinker Thursday. We're talking about heaven in this half hour, and I'm loving this. We'll be right back. John and Pam Bloom, we're talking about heaven in this last half hour of the program, and I always get excited when we talk about heaven, and we talk about the fact that we want to be with him, and then Pam, you said something really great during the break I want you to share with the listeners. Yeah, we're, we are enjoying talking about our longing to be with God, to be in his presence, and we have those moments in worship like I'm worshiping from earth to heaven. I want to be with you. I long for when my life is over and you call me home, I'm with you. I want to see you face to face. And I feel like even in this conversation that God brought this to mind, he wants to interrupt the conversation and say, it's it's not just you longing to be with me, but I really want to be with you. And it's right there in John 17, 24, Jesus is talking to the Father and he says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. So it's Jesus' desire. And if we could only hear it in his voice with his passion, like, I really want them with me. And he can't wait for that day as well. That's pretty exciting. That puts a whole different twist on the way we view our own death, too, that verse. We often will pray, you know, if something happens, we pray, Father, heal me, you know, t- deliver me from death. And we have this desire. We have a desire to be with God. Of course, we, we, we don't want to go through, through the process of death, um, and there's good reasons for that. Um, but we have Jesus here praying. He's interceding. And, he's, and his great desire is that we be with him where he is. <laughs> so at, at some point, his prayer is going to be answered over ours. Mm-hmm. And we're going to wonder, going back to what we just talked before, this doesn't make any sense. Why aren't, you, why aren't you delivering me? Because I want you to be with me. Yeah. Because Jesus' prayer is getting answered. That's right. He gets what he wants. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So let me just um, kind of wrap this this part up here about about heaven. We the the Bible. When you if you're looking for what heaven 
looks like or whatever, uh, the Bible is going to leave you somewhat frustrated because it doesn't give us a lot of specifics. It gives us pictures. We have these pictures in Revelation and some and elsewhere. We have we have parables. We have things, but they're symbols. They're analogies, and that's because, as Paul says in uh, in First Corinthians two, that um, eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man what God has prepared for those who love him. In other words, we don't have the faculties to grasp what it is. We only. We, we have to, God speaks to us through even the things that we were just talking about that we enjoy. When they're transposed in, like we start seeing God in them, then those things that, that Paul warns about in Colossians 3, uh, uh, the, the listener who, who quoted um, Colossians 3 about setting our minds on things above, not on things on, on the earth. If our minds are set on things on the earth as ends to themselves, it's death. It's over. It's, it's Ecclesiastes. But if we see that through them like windows into the glory of God, we taste him. We see it. We see his goodness. We see his providence. We, whatever it is, they become ways in which we set our minds on things above. And so, and so the, um, we, we, it's, it's not the things of heaven. It's not the Maseratis and mansions or, or whatever it is that we might be thinking about, gold, streets of gold, all those kind of things. That's not where we're supposed to capture our heart. We, what's supposed to capture our heart is like the writer of Psalm 73, whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That person is tasting heaven. That's that psalmist there. Um, a day in God's courts is better than a thousand elsewhere, Psalm 84.10. David speaks of God as his exceeding joy, Psalm 43. Um, in in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for the reward. God... <laughs> God was his reward. Um, Paul, in uh, Philippians chapter 3, he counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. And he suffered the loss of all things, counting them as rubbish in order that he may gain Christ. That is, that when we start feeling those things and tasting, we're starting to taste the heaven of heavens. That will always be the heaven of heavens. God will have amazing things prepared for us. The most amazing thing and what will give everything, make everything delightful. It will give all the delights of heaven their delights is, is the delight of God himself. It's, it's him just overflowing in beauty and glory for the enjoyment of his mm. people. So Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So God doesn't merely give us eternal life. He is the life. He's the very source and the essence of eternal life. So we're, we're not trying to grasp, like, what is heaven? What's it going to be like? God, it's you. <laughs> Everything else I can count as loss. It's you. And so, um, even though I said the Bible doesn't say a lot, give a lot of specifics about heaven, 
the Bible is very much a book about heaven. Because at the very center of redemptive history, this, this apex of biblical revelation, the very reason Jesus came to earth was so that he could suffer on a brutal cross once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order that he might bring us to God. That's, that's what it's all about, mm-hmm. that he might bring us to God. And in giving us God, he's giving us heaven. God in his wholeness, his Trinitarian wholeness, is himself life. He's our ultimate gain. He's our great reward. He's our exceeding joy. He's our portion forever. He's our eternal home. He is, he's going to be the heaven of heavens. It's interesting, John and Pam, when you, my John made the comment about this person that you knew that was sort of excited about stuff. And you don't, you don't have to peruse too many obituaries to realize that there's a very distorted view of heaven. You'll read an obituary, obituary that'll say he's finally at his the great fishing hole in the sky and he's teeing off probably uh, all, as we speak. And I think we're well, you're just going to have some more earthly activities in heaven and that's your idea of heaven. And if, Very confusing. And if that was all that heaven was to that person, it would be trivial. Very. But if what you can hear in that, he really enjoyed fishing. There's something about God that he's, he's tasting, whether, whether they actually, that person actually experienced it or not, or on, the, or on the golf course, or at the piano, or with their children. There, there's a sense in which those things are not trivial because in them are the echoes of heaven if we can hear them. And, and so if the, oftentimes the very best we can do is reach for analogies. You know, what did this person enjoy the most? But if we can, but if we can see them, that is transposing to whatever it is that corresponds to that times how, you know, a billion or whatever is what they're enjoying in heaven. You know, because language fails us when we try to imagine what it is that our loved ones enjoy. So that's one of the ways that I read those. I try to read, you know, like, like hopefully that person, what they're experiencing is the fullness oh, yeah. of what they were tasting at that fishing hole. That's a much better picture than the one I think <laughs> I had in my head. So I appreciate you, John, uh, telling me that. That's very helpful. I learn something every day at this job. <laughs> Seriously, it's really wonderful. I love talking about heaven. I think most people are are excited about heaven. They just, of course, don't like the price you have to pay to get there, which is the loss of life in this or in in this life. Yes. Yeah. And and that is, um, in in reality, a terrible thing to endure. I agree. So, you know. Jesus did not rebuke Mar- Mar- um, Martha and Mary for weeping over Lazarus. He wept at Lazarus's tomb as well. Um, he, it's a it's a grievous thing. Death is an enemy. It, it's a grievous thing. But for the for the Christian, it is the gateway to joy. It's the gateway to what it is that we want. It's why Lewis said, "That's." You know, sometimes I think we hardly ever think of heaven, but more and more as time goes on, I think, I doubt we, th- I don't think we think much about anything else. We're after joy. We're after joy. And in that is the echo of who 
God is. It's who he is. And that promise of satisfaction that nothing else delivers here is getting us to look away from those things, setting, getting our minds off of the things on earth, setting our minds on things above where Christ is. Mm-hmm. John and Pam, thank you so much once again for another Deep Thinker Thursday. It's been great having you here. Great to be here. Thanks, yeah. Pam. John and Pam Bloom have been my guests. John is co-founder and teacher at Desiring God. You can go to desiringgod.org, and he has written, a, I don't know, 600-plus articles over there over the years, and they're all wonderful. You can go just do a Google uh, a search on the Desiring God website for John Bloom, and you'll find all of his work. It's quite impressive. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the show. I appreciate all my guests. I appreciate you very much. I hope that you have a wonderful night. Get some good sleep because I'm looking forward to spending time with you tomorrow. Have a good night. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.